Okay, so the book of Revelation, uh, uh, if you're brand new, John, the Apostle John, wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote it, he was actually exiled uh, to this small island, forced into labor on this small island, and the island of Patmos, and he is given this incredible vision, and he has this incredible experience uh, with an angel, and then he actually sees uh, the glorified Christ, and in chapter one, uh, we talked about that, and we also see that in Revelation uh, chapter one, it really uh, kicks off with telling us what this book is about. And the book is the revelation of Jesus. Okay, so first and foremost, you need to understand. It's the revelation of Jesus. So we should see Jesus all throughout the book. Um, and, and then what we see Jesus telling John, the author, to do is to write uh, a letter to these seven churches. Now, these are seven uh, real historical churches uh, that were located in a Asia Minor at the end of the, uh, the first century AD. Um, and, and essentially what uh, John is tasked with as he writes this letter to these uh, churches is he is essentially letting them know that Jesus sees what's going on, right? And, and so what Jesus is doing for these churches, and he's doing it for them, it's actually out of his love for these churches, is he's giving them kind of an x-ray of their condition. He's showing them what's actually going on. Um, and, and so John delivers that message, and we read uh, throughout Revelation, he who has an ear, let him hear uh, at the end of some of these messages to these seven churches. And so what we know is, yes, these messages were written uh, specifically to those churches, but they're for everybody to listen, to hear, and to respond to, and it connects with you and I today. Um, it's kind of funny, kind of not, but during the first gathering as we were closing in worship, I was thinking about all seven of these churches and, and the characteristics of these seven churches. And I came to the conclusion that I can remember different points in my journey with Jesus where I was all of them. And, and it was kind of convicting, but it was kind of like, okay. And, and so I say all of that to say, you may find yourself really resonating with what one church is going through over another. Or you may just look and see, man, that was definitely a stage in my life. That was a season. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me out of that. Um, but, but it's not all corrective either. We see uh, for some of these churches, he's like, stay the course, hold on. And so we are able to benefit from these. And so last week I did three churches, which was way too many. And this week I'm doing two and next week two as well, because I can learn. All right. So we're going to start in chapter two. Let's look at chapter two and we'll kick off in verse 18. Some of you are like, oh, he's going to preach shorter. Eh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> chapter two, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, Write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, 
that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Okay, so John is told to write to this church, write to the angel over the church in Thyatira, And Thyatira was an expendable military uh, outpost. This city was about 40 miles southeast of Pergamum, which we looked at last week. And what uh, made it an important city was its commerce in wool, linen, leatherworks, bronze work. And then uh, especially what they were very well known for throughout the world was their purple dye. Uh, And... Actually, in Acts 16, uh, Lydia, who helped start the church at Philippi, book of Philippians, uh, we read that she was from here, and that was the market she was in. Uh, In this city, though, there's this extensive network of trade guilds. And and for those of you not familiar historically with trade guilds, uh, think of like labor unions uh, today, and they dominated the daily and the civic life of the people. Um, Jesus here, as as we look at verse 18, we we see that Jesus is noted as the son of God, and that's a title uh, that's only found here in the book of Revelation. And then we see him describe Jesus uh, uh, in the imagery that we saw in chapter one as he's describing his eyes and his feet. And then Jesus addresses the church. And, and I, I, wanna, I really wanna highlight the positive things that he says about this church because I think it's easy as we go through these seven churches to highlight the flaws or the failures, okay? But this is what he says. He first praises this church for their works, praises them for their works, what they're doing. He praises them for their love. They love God. They, they, they love other people well. They, uh, he, he highlights their faith. Okay? They have incredible faith as a church, uh, their, their service as they're serving the community. And then he says they have patient endurance. This is a church that endures, So they have this love for Christ, for others. They have a faith in God, and it inspired this church into action, okay? Um, And and, and so we see that that this is not this stagnant or satisfied church, right? It it says their last works are greater than the first. So they're doing even more, okay? So they're growing in what they're doing and accomplishing for Jesus as a church. They're challenging each other. Now we look at that by itself and we go, that is an incredible church. I mean, I look at those characteristics and I go, yeah, God, I hope, right? I hope at Ecclesia, man, those those are incredible things. That's a church I want to go to. But then Jesus has something against this church. He says, you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Now, this is most certainly a descriptive title and not the woman's actual name, okay? Uh, the name Jezebel was an infamous name, okay? And, and, and rightly so, okay? Like when, when people back in those days would have a baby and it was a little girl and they're looking at it and they're like, oh, she's so cute. Let's name her Jezebel. Like nobody did that, okay? Like that was a name you didn't name your daughter, 
okay? Um, like, like very uh, evil, w- wicked in the Old Testament. I mean, she was probably the most wicked queen in Israel's history. When we look at who Jezebel in the Old Testament was, her behavior is described in 1 Kings chapter 16 to 2 Kings chapter 9. She was this powerful force behind uh, the, the king of Israel, Ahab. Uh, she was his wife. And she led him into the worship of pagan gods, right? Idolatry, all kinds of sexual immorality. And, and she was the leader in killing God's prophets. In fact, we, you look at Elijah, Elijah being on the run uh, and all of that. Um, she wanted Elijah dead and she was a part of killing all kinds of God's chosen people. She was the definition of evil. And so we look at those characteristics, we look at that name, and it's given to uh, more than likely this uh, woman here in Revelation. And so what do we know about her? Well, we know that, man, she had a powerful personality. Uh, she had built up her own following. She's, she's likely very smart. She's influential. She's winsome. Um, but just like the Old Testament Jezebel, she's evil and deceptive. I think a challenge for us continually, if we're trying to follow Jesus, is the reminder that anything or anyone that gets your eyes off of Jesus is not of God. Anything or anyone that minimizes or adds to the gospel is not of God. Anything or anyone that compromises on biblical truth is not of God. Regardless of how um, impressive, gifted, skilled this person may be, it makes no difference. In fact, oftentimes that makes that person more dangerous, doesn't it? Because they're so easy, you want to believe them. They sound so great. They're, uh, they, they sound appealing. They're saying things you want to hear. They're saying things you want to believe, they're, 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 and they're feeding on that. And she uh, called herself a prophetess. Now, there was all kinds of female prophets throughout uh, Scripture that we see in the Old and the New Testament. So when she's calling herself this, you need to understand that she is saying, I am speaking on behalf of God. God is speaking through me to you. And she's clearly a leader because people are following her. And what we see here is unlike the church at Ephesus, Thyatira's love for Christ, it hadn't grown cold. Okay, so we look at the church at Ephesus. They were doing all these great things as well. But but what? They lost their first love, it says. Unlike the church at Ephesus, though, Thyatira's love for truth had gone away. Their love for truth. You guys, Ephesians 4.15, it says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Okay, the truth in love. Second uh, and third John, it emphasizes the necessity of both of those things, of truth and love. We looked at Ephesus a week ago. Ephesus lacked what? They lacked love. Thyatira, they lack truth, okay? A healthy church must have both. 
must have both. And, and this is a huge problem right now in Christianity, okay? Huge problem. Huge problem in our churches uh, because what you have is people like, like going, it is truth, and I stand on the truth, and they need to hear the truth and the love, whatever, but they need the truth. And people are like, okay. And then you have over here, love. They just need love. They just need to hear about the love of Christ. God is love by definition. And so we just give love and that theology, uh, doctrine, uh, where you land on certain things. You know, we don't know, you know, but God is love, okay? And so it's okay. And you can do that and you can be that and all those things. And so we have these very different experiences, right? And if we, if we took a tour to churches, we could experience probably both, wouldn't we? Some of you have come out of a church that was just like, boom, that's this, that's how it is. And grace is great. And then we have others that it is just, is love, baby, Right? And so we have those two things, and um, we have to have both, and you can't separate them. You can't say one or the other um, because they're both essential. They're both essential. You, and, and, and you can't really, I mean, you can't really love. How can you say you love someone if you don't give them the truth? You know, like, uh, I, I think of, like, uh, my kids will ask me to help them with their homework. Usually their mom, which is smart, but uh, every once in a while they'll ask me. And it would be like me looking at one of my boys' homework, and, and it's all wrong, right? It's all wrong. And I look at it, and I go, did you try hard? Yeah, Dad. Did you give it your best? Yeah. Did you finish it? Yeah, Dad. You feel good about it? Yeah, I feel really good. Great. Go turn that thing in, son. <laughs> right? He's going to turn that in, and his teacher is just going to light him up. Like, wrong, 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 wrong. Right? That's not a loving parent. Right? At all. No, I see what's wrong. Now, when I see what's wrong, I don't, what's wrong with you? Right? No. I go, hey, help me understand here. What, how did you get there? What were you thinking here? And I help them. And I teach them truth because I love them. And God is very clear about what is of him and what is not. And so you can correct in love. We cannot negate truth. We just can't. And that's the appealing thing right now in our culture. It is amazing how our culture right now, especially in Christian circles, how little they care about theology, which is the study of God, and their doctrine. What they stand on, what's the truth of scripture? What do you stand on, what do you not stand on? And, and, and what I see being pushed more and more, even in churches, is that's okay. That's okay. And we're missing what scripture calls us to be and what it calls us to do. And that's how these Jezebel teachings come into play, right? Is when it's, it's, it's no longer about truth, right? And I think what's so scary about this is you think of all the characteristics of this church, 
Love God, following, pursuing Jesus, right? Doing all of these things that we would all go, I want to do those things. And yet we see that, that, that truth is absent in that. Okay, and I think that's what we have to really pay attention to in our own hearts, in our own lives. The manipulation, the confusion comes from I'm feeling really good about all I'm doing for the Lord and my intentions, I love him and all of this. Um, and, and then someone's gonna come along and it could be an influencer, uh, it could be a podcast, it could be a social media account, it could be a pastor, it could be all these things that come and then what they do is reinforce all the good and then they compromise areas the scripture says, you can't compromise that. And what we're literally doing, what they're doing to people is they're like the parent, hey, your kid's homework is all wrong, good luck. Good luck. It doesn't work. See, the correction of God in your and my life, that is an act of love. Him writing this letter to the churches, it's love. And what's so tough is these false prophets, uh, like, like this Jezebel uh, character, they'll mix truth with lies. Uh, not everything they say will be uh, false or wrong. And their message is going to contain just enough truth, just enough to deceive. And guys, no one stepped up. No one stopped it. From what we can tell, no one stopped it. No one stood up and said, no, this is wrong. This is not the direction. This is not in alignment with God's word. And so this doctrine that was so attractive and seductive, uh, this, this doctrine that she was pushing, uh, her teachings that are promising freedom, prosperity, uh, and, and in fact, exalting Jesus, right? Because uh, that's what she's pushing. She's, she's claiming truth. She's not like negating God. It's so funny how we're like, oh, they, they'll just reveal themselves. No, she is... She is literally saying, no, like this is from God. This is God's word to you. And yet we see that it's a lie. You guys, you can never lose sight of the fact that doctrine matters. Our doctrine matters. Our theology matters. Truth matters. And we must continually be on guard. There are so many ways to infiltrate uh, right now. Our minds and our hearts and our opinions. Um, and, and we see that she taught uh, and deceived uh, people to do two things, it lists. One is to commit sexual immorality, and second was to participate in idolatry, just like the Old Testament uh, Jezebel. Now, part of the problem in this environment, in this city, in Thyatira, it's centered around these guilds that I had referenced to. See, for, for people to maintain uh, their livelihood, a connection or a membership uh, in one of these guilds was uh, virtual. It, it was a necessity for you to have an occupation and a job. And each of these unions, uh, they paid homage to uh, a particular pagan god. And they would pay homage to that pagan god through feasts and celebrations and so Christians who worked in these trades, they would have been pressured or forced to participate in these festivals to these pagan gods. And what did that include? That included eating meals in 
the temples of the worship. So eating uh, the, the food that was sacrificed to these idols, being in that temple. And it meant participating in all of this sexual immorality with these temple prostitutes. Uh, and so whenever a, a Christian refused to participate in these feasts uh, or celebrations, they faced severe pushback from the community. And it had economic repercussions. They could lose their job. And so, and so Jezebel sees this, and, and essentially, she's teaching this message that, hey, listen, I get it. It's so tough out there. There is nothing wrong with you participating in these feasts and these celebrations. See, idols, they're not even real. We know that. Right? We worship the one true God. So that's not even real. And, and so uh, you're not destroying your faith by participating in that. It's not even real, right? She's teaching this message. It is fine. You can compartmentalize your faith from how you are here, from how you are in the community, right? So, so who you are at home, who you are at church, that can be very different than, than who you are in the community. God sees that. And, and God knows that on occasions, you're just going to have to compromise on your convictions. It's not going to hurt anything. Like God sees it. He, he loves you. Jesus understands. Like remember, remember you're free in Christ. These are the messages. These are what they wanted to hear. This was, this was calling them or giving them permission to really bend and to align with the issues they're dealing with. And that's what they wanted to hear. But you guys, God calls us to spiritual faithfulness to him alone. Above anything else. Uh, in fact, you, you, you see that the church is called the bride of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, we're called to a faithfulness to him. Not adultery. Adultery is when we, we're going outside, right? And so he calls us to follow him, to pursue him. And, and, and he's saying, this is a big deal. I'm going to have to deal with this. This sexual immorality, this idolatry, it is a big deal to me. And then we keep going. In verse 21, it says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am... He who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Now, if you are brand new to faith, you read that, and you went, oh my goodness, what in the world? This is what I heard about that book. So the first thing that I really think is important for us to highlight is Jesus has already given her time. You catch that? You cannot miss the grace, the mercy, and the love, even in the judgment. He's already delayed. He's already given her time to, to make a decision. Continue teaching this, continue pushing this, or judgment's gonna come. And it says what? She has refused, right? And it's because she's refused, she can't, when judgment comes, she can't go, oh God, you're, you're not just. Why would you do that? No, she had an opportunity. Um, it, it reminds me uh, how we're all going to get, like he sees our hearts and, and, and he's going to, you know, essentially look at us and deal with us accordingly. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart 
and test the mind, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 2, verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. Jesus in Matthew 16, 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and that he will repay each person according to what he has done. Okay, so he's going to judge. Uh, he's going to deal with every person uh, individually. And, and, and then Jesus says, look, or, or behold, he says, I am going to throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. Now, a sickbed here, that may refer to actual disease or illness, uh, but it's more likely that that bed actually refers to death and hell, the resting place for those who refuse to repent, who refuse to receive him. This divine judgment was also about to fall on those who would commit, it says, adultery with her, that imagery again. And, and the Lord, it says, threatens to cast them into a, uh, a, a great tribulation, which isn't the eschatological tribulation later described in Revelation. But this is, there's trouble that's going to come. He promises there is going to be suffering unless you repent. Okay, unless you repent. And then he declares in verse 23, I will kill her children with the plague. That's where we're just like, oh my goodness. Now, who are her children here, okay? See, her, her children are her, they're her spiritual offspring. They're those who share her nature, her DNA. And, and, and to kill, it, it means essentially to turn them over to the destruction and the death that they're, they're pursuing, right? He's warned them uh, against this. And one of the things that you'll also see here is that he differentiates uh, between those who are caught up in following her teaching and, and, and those who are actually her children. Now, what's the difference? Remember, her children are those who are reproducing. They have the same nature and character, and they're reproducing this message, Okay? So that's one group of people. And he says, same spot, right? But the other group are people who are caught up in the teaching, right? Some of us in our lives, we've been caught up maybe in a religion or in a certain teaching and we didn't know any better. Like, 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 like it was very winsome. It sounded great. It sounded like truth. I loved the connection I had there and all of that. And you got caught up in that. And so he's still pleading with them, repent, there's gonna be, there's gonna be baggage, there's gonna be drama, there's gonna be suffering if you continue in this. And once again, he is just displaying his love. He's displaying his love for them. And when God takes out Jezebel and her spiritual children here, he says, All the churches will know. Well, what are all the churches gonna know? Look back at verse 23. He says, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Okay, just, man, Jeremiah 17, 10. Once again, we see it just echoed. What did it say there? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. As he looks at our heart's condition, and he sees exactly 
where we're at. Over and over in scripture, we read that. And so here's my encouragement. If you're here and you're just like, I'm going to appear a certain way at Ecclesia. I'm going to look this way, talk this way. I might even try and pray this way to appear this. Stop. Stop. The only person that matters knows what's happening, knows what's going on in your heart, knows what's going on in your mind, and so just be real with them. He sees it, and he says, I want all the churches to know that I seek your heart and your mind. I know what's going on. You're not fooling me. You're not fooling me. You can fool everyone else. And this is being read out loud in this church. Jezebel, her followers, are listening to this as it's being read. He says, I want everyone to know. This in verses 24 through 29, it says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so hope is not lost for this church. That's why I love all these letters. Hope is not, uh, it's not ended. There's still some, even in that church, that are holding true to uh, the true teachings of Jesus. And so Jesus tells them, like, I'm not laying another burden on you. I'm just telling you, hold on. You hold tight. Don't let go. I'm coming back. And, and, and what we've seen is to hold on is to be a conqueror, right? It's to be an overcomer, right? Perseverance is this, is this proof of our, of our profession. So many uh, fall away when it's tough, when it's difficult. He says, you hold on. He's, and then he, pro, he makes a promise, right? These believers here, uh, they're promised authority over the nations, which is likely referring to when God's people will live and reign with Christ when he sets up his kingdom on earth, which we read about in Revelation 20, uh, verse four. And, and we see in Matthew 19, 28, that believers are gonna serve under Christ. They're gonna be sitting on thrones, uh, judging. Some of you are like, that sounds amazing. You're like not sitting on the throne. I just want to judge everyone. No. Um, but Jesus, it says he received this from his father and he now shares it with his followers. And he says, and I love this, I will give you the morning star. Do you know who the morning star is? It is Jesus himself. We see in Revelation 22, 16, it makes that clear. And so listen, those of you who have ears to hear, the spirit is talking to the churches, and we all need this reminder, don't we? See, if my love compromises God's truth, it's not God's love. And God has a pretty bold declaration. He says, I am love. And for some of us, we've allowed some things in our lives that have caused us to bend truth, to cause us to believe some lies, to cause us to follow some things we shouldn't. And we need 
to really think about and consider what God's asking us to do today. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Okay, so Sardis, this, uh, this city was about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. And it's one of the oldest cities in the province of Asia. It was founded around 1200 uh, BC. Okay, so it's a city that's steeped in history, uh, in tradition. Um, you know, everybody around the city uh, was great about talking about what once was. In fact, at this point in time, uh, the city's best days were behind them and it was living off of its past. Uh, reputation, okay? Uh, Jesus, once again, kicks us off, and he's described as the one uh, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, which is going back to the imagery of chapter one. And the seven spirits there, that is the Holy Spirit in all his fullness, in all his completeness. And, And so what we first notice here is There is absolutely no encouragement or praise for this church. (laughs) Like, like, there's no, hey, attaboy. Like, good job. Like, here's what you're doing. No, he immediately confronts them. You know, sometimes in my interactions uh, in scripture, there's encouragement, and then I start to go, ooh. But other times, it's just straight, he confronts me, isn't it? Like, there's just times it's like, this is wrong. I'm like, "Mm, Thanks. So there's no praise for this church. He confronts them. Now, what we read about this church is this this is a church that has a reputation. It's got a reputation. So it's likely got this reputation as being this this center, this place, this hub of activity and and healthiness, vitality, right? Um, It's likely a church that had size, uh, money, uh, ministries that people recognized and noticed. And so this church appeared to be uh, a, a very healthy, a thriving church, and it claimed to be that kind of church. Okay? And it, just the fact that she had a reputation, it's an indication that there had been a time when this church was doing great things for God. You know, sometimes we have no idea about the true spiritual condition of our hearts, do we? There's just times that we have no idea where we're actually at with God. And maybe that's some of you right now. See, often we think we're one thing. We assume that. Maybe people even tell us we're that. And, and, and so we, we, we then try to appear that way. 
We try to live a certain way, try to do enough to keep that appearance, that facade, uh, to keep people believing that I am a certain way. And guys, what's crazy is you can get to the point by doing something over and over and over again where you actually start to believe that a lie is the truth. When in reality, what's really going on with you is completely different than what is being presented. Have you ever believed a lie about yourself? Interesting question. But this church did, and so Jesus reveals exactly what's going on. He says, but you are dead. You are dead. (laughs) Now we look at that and we go, okay, what's the cause of death, right? What what happened here? And you know what? We're not... We're not clearly told what the cause of death is here. But, but you, you know, the things that we see churches compromising on in those days uh, was what? Their, their public witness for Jesus, right? It was a lot easier to just hide that, not face opposition. So maybe they were compromising that publicly to avoid opposition. Maybe they were just trying to blend in with culture, right? Some of that uh, Jezebel type teaching, and I, I could just blend in, I can do enough, uh, go along to get along. And, and, and we think about how popular that was even in that culture. But guys, how popular is that in our culture uh, today, right? To just go uh, go along with what culture is doing and saying and believing uh, instead of what the Bible's telling us to do. And we also see characteristics when you just think about a dying church. And you guys, some of you have been in a dying church uh, and, and, and you think about some of those characteristics. One of the things that leads to it is a inward mindset instead of an outward mindset, right? We start to be consumed about us versus where has call, God called us to be to be a light and, and to reach and to spread the gospel and to disciple people, right? And so we can start to become a dying church when we start to focus only on uh, us. Uh, we can start to become uh, a, a, a dying uh, church when we don't handle division well or fighting, right? I don't wanna ask you to raise your hand if you've been a part of a church split. I know there's a lot of you that have. A church split can destroy a church just like that, where there's just fighting amongst Christians over a variety of things. And so we don't know why specifically says you are dead, but I don't want to miss this. Jesus, by writing this to them is, and, and, and reaching out to them, is displaying incredible love, incredible love. See, not only has Jesus redeemed this church, not only has he redeemed us, but he again and again goes after us to rescue us. Are you seeing that? He's going after this church to rescue them from the death that is so close. And here's what's so amazing. Our God is in the resurrection business, okay? Like, that's what he does. When you think of your life before him, before receiving him as your Lord and Savior, you were dead to your sins. So I was dead in that, right? And what did he do? He resurrected me out of that. And guys, he's resurrecting people all the time, maybe today in this church or watching online. He's going to resurrect. One of you is going to have, your your life is, is, is literally, it's marked by, 
by sin. It's marked by opposition to him. And, and that's where you're at. And you feel dead in that. And he's going to meet you. He's going to draw you from that place and pull you out and resurrect you. And he is in that business. And, and not only with his people, but his churches. And so he's reaching out to his churches to, to, to revive this church. And he's reminding you and I today that none of you are beyond redemption. Nobody in your family, in your circles, and I don't care who you've labeled, they're not beyond redemption. And when Jesus looks over this church body, he sees something. He sees this weak, faint heartbeat. There's a pulse. Their condition is critical, but it's not terminal. And then he states, he, he tells them what, what this church, what she must do once again to be the church that he's called her to be. And the first thing is this, and this is such a great one, right? A lot of depth to this. Wake up. Wake up. Like, that's the big one. He says, wake up. Wake up. Stay alert. And, and what I love about this is it's not too late. Get up. You guys, uh, if you are... If you are trying to live for Jesus and you're not doing that with faithful vigilance, you, there's going to be a disaster. It's not going to work out. You have to stay awake, stay alert. And you also have to understand that yesterday's victories are of little value for today's battles. See, some of us, uh, when you think about uh, this church, this church is likely living off of their past off of their reputation. The question you have to ask is, is your faith living off of your past? Is your, is your faith living off of, off of what you did 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Is it living off of five years ago? Is it living off of two years ago, one year ago? And that's all you talk about. That's all you think about. That's why you walk into church like this right, is, is, is you have this past, this history, and what that's given you is a reputation and an identity, and you've just held on to that, and so you are presenting that, you're living like that, and everybody's confused, but deep down, Jesus says, you're lifeless. You're nothing going on. It's all in the past. You're a relic. And that's a challenge for us, huh, to think about. And Jesus says, I have not found your works complete before my God. See, they didn't complete. There's some starts, but they didn't finish. What had happened is they just grew content. They found that spot where they could just kind of operate safely in, right? If you're looking for that sweet spot of contentment, contentment like in, in, in pursuing Jesus, it ain't going to happen. If you're looking for that spot where I can just have this mediocre thing, it ain't going to happen. In fact, you really need to come next week if that's what you think. But this church found that place to be comfortable. They found a convenient Christianity that worked for them. And so the, the people that were lost in their community, they didn't bother them. They didn't oppose them. They just ignored them. They're like, they're just like us. See, they were incomplete in what Christ had called them into, had saved them. And so we see Jesus say, what? Remember, remember what you've heard and received. Guys, over and over, have you not noticed a pattern? He keeps saying, remember, because we keep forgetting. He says, you need to remember, remember the gospel. 
Remember what Jesus did on the cross, how he, how he went to the cross with your sins, your failures, your mistakes. Do you remember that moment when you realized that? When you realized how insignificant, how unqualified you are, and Jesus said, I've got this? Do you remember then, then he resurrected from the dead, having victory over sin and death? So not only does he got this, did he pay the penalty, but he showed a way to victory so that if you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you now get to spend eternity with him and you get to live every day in light of that reality? Oh my goodness. Do you remember that church? Go back to that spot. And then I love how he says, you don't just go back to that spot, you keep that. You hold on to it. You guard it. The gospel message is a treasure that you are to guard, you are to protect, you are to hold on to. And some of us need that challenge. Your reputation is the past, but presently you're dead. And man, I'll tell you what, we have a lot of good excuses for not doing anything right now, don't we? Just nod. Right? I'm busy. I've yet to meet someone who's not busy. Right? Everybody's busy. I have a family. Oh, really? Man, nobody had a family in the Bible. You've only got two? They had like 15. <laughs> Deal with it. Right? Uh, we, got, we, got, we got a job. Okay, good, right? I got this, I got commitments. Everybody's got a life, you guys, but if we're searching for reasons to not, you gotta ask, what's going on? You just gotta ask, what is he calling you to? And when you look back and you remember, what was that moment? What was the vision? What was the glimpse that he gave you of what you could be? He's telling this church right now, this church that's just dead. It's like, do you remember? Do you remember what I want to do with you? Guys, for some of you, do you remember what he wants to do with you? Do you remember the passion, the heart, and all that when it was really real for you? Do you remember that? It's not dead yet. There's a heartbeat. You just got to repent. He says repent. To repent means to turn. And you guys, we have such an inadequate understanding of what repentance means in Christianity. You guys, uh, when we think of uh, repentance, uh, we think of that moment where I repented of my past, of all my sin, of everything, right, that fell short of the glory of God. And so we go, I did that. I'm good, right? And so we literally look at it as this one time, one hit experience, and then we're good. But you guys, repentance has an ongoing place in a healthy Christian life. Like, 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 like repentance is a companion. It's like your wallet. Okay, it, it, it goes with you in your Christian journey, okay? You need it daily, right? <laughs> Some of you, like every 30 seconds, okay? We need it all the time. It's a gift that keeps on giving. And, and guess what? You never grow out of it. It's like, you never grow beyond it. The moment I think I'm beyond repentance is the moment I start becoming a Pharisee. Okay, and so we don't grow out of it. We need it. It's with us. And so he's like, repent of this. He says, I'm coming. Jesus says, I'm coming like a thief. And we see that referred to all throughout scripture. 
But Jesus says there's some who have not defiled their clothes. And this is the picture of those who haven't spiritually contaminated their Christian witness yet. He says, you have not compromised. You have not grown comfortable and complacent. So we see this small minority that's continuing to follow Jesus, to walk with him. And he he says, you're going to walk in the purity of white clothing provided by Christ, symbolic of their justification and holiness of life. And then we see Jesus describes the rewards awaiting the conquerors. And once again, pointing to that end time, that they're going to be clothed in his perfect righteousness, symbolized by the white clothes. He promises he will never erase erase their names from the book of life. And we see the book of life referenced all throughout scripture. And that's the, that you want to be on that list. Like you want your name on that book. The book of life, those who get to walk into the new heavens and the new earth. And lastly, Jesus promises to confess these people before the Father and his angels. Angels. Jesus literally says, I'm going to tell my Father and the angels that they are mine. They belong to me. What an incredible image, isn't it? And so the question we have to ask is, where are we at today, right? The, the, we have two, two examples. They're not just churches, but, but, but these are postures in our heart. These are the things that are going on in our lives. And, and I got to ask, am I, am I Thyatira? Am I, am I that church? Uh, am I that one? Am I, am I the person that's just doing incredible things for the Lord, but I'm bending on truth? It's infiltrating. It's changing my perspective and how I'm living and operating. And I'm negating truth and love. Or... Man, am I a rerun? Am I putting up a front? Am I trying to represent something, but in actuality, I'm spiritually dead? And it needs to be addressed. And it needs to be built back up, we see. And so whatever God's calling you to this morning, I want to just invite you to be obedient and to respond to him wherever you're at. Let's, 